Hello, Human Nature listeners. This is your host, Megan Fury. So if you listened to our last season, then you know we put out our 100th episode. It's really exciting for us, and we wanted to celebrate. So I reached out to some current and former folks on the Human Nature team and asked them what their favorite episode was. And I'm really excited to share those picks with you over the next few weeks before our new season starts in July. So I'm going to go first, and the episode I chose is number 72. It's called Everyone Needs a Purpose. I remember how excited we all were when Christopher McDougall agreed to an interview. He's famous for starting the barefoot running craze and his book, Born to Run, But this episode isn't about that. It's about Chris and his unusual running partner, a donkey named Sherman. I'm a big animal lover, so I'm always going to gravitate towards animal stories. Chris was so down to earth in his interview, and the way he speaks about Sherman just, it just tugs at your heartstrings. Plus, I never knew donkeys were such fantastic runners. I live in a townhouse right now, so I can't really live my dream of having a ranch with a bunch of rescue donkeys yet. But until then, I have Chris and Sherman. This story is so funny, heartwarming, and just really memorable. So whether you've heard it before or are hearing it for the very first time, I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much to all of you out there, and uh, stay tuned. I'll have updates about our next season coming your way. But until then, enjoy episode 72, Everyone Needs a Purpose. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. This time, we'll hear about a man who learned that it's not just humans who need a purpose in life. So it becomes like this, like, toilet bowl swirling around, like Flower's trying to get behind Sherman, Sherman's trying to get behind Flower, I'm in the middle, surrounded by ropes. You might have heard of Chris McDougall. He wrote the book Born to Run, the one that started everyone jogging around barefoot. He's still running, but now he has a new running partner. This is a weird thing because... You know, I'm not a country guy. I'm not an animal guy at all. I grew up in Philadelphia. And so for us moving to southern Lancaster County was a brand new experience. And we started trying to mess around with being small-time farmers raising some sheep just so we can blend in with our neighbors. My nine-year-old daughter at the time, we'd asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And out of the blue, she comes up with this thing. She wanted a donkey. And one day, we heard about a guy who was keeping a donkey locked up in a stall in his barn. And so when we heard that there was a hoarder who had a donkey, and we wanted a donkey for my daughter, it seemed perfect. But then we get to this barn, and as soon as we were walking up to the door, my stomach started to sink. Like, whatever is inside that building, it, it can't be good. So we crack open the door. And this thing was flooded with mud and manure and rotten straw. And we're looking around like, I don't don't see a donkey anywhere. And the hoarder actually very proudly 
pointed to a stall in the back and goes, well, there he is. There's Shaggy. And they're like back in the darkness against the wall. It looked to me like a bag of garbage. It was like this, this misshapen gray lump. And this thing turned toward us and it looked just horrible. Uh, its head was hanging down. Its teeth were rotten in its mouth. We later discovered that its hooves had never been trimmed. They were so long, they were like swim fins, so this animal couldn't even walk. But most of all, what struck us was it just looked like it was dying in front of our eyes. Its head was hanging down. Its eyes were dead in their sockets. And we thought, this is not going to end very well. The problem with the hoarder was he was not seeing what we were seeing. He saw an animal that he loved. We finally persuaded him to turn it over to us for a little while. That was the, that was the deal, a little while. And we got him to our house. And then finally, under the full glare of daylight, we realized that the situation was even worse than we expected. Uh, the problem was because it couldn't walk, its stomach had congealed, had sort of solidified which was basically going to tear this animal apart from the inside out. So the first emergency was we needed to find a way to trim these hooves so that it could begin to walk again. Because if it couldn't begin to walk, it, it couldn't break up the waste matter inside its digestive system, and it was going to die a very painful death and very soon. But my, my daughter had that stroke of genius because her first thought looking at this donkey was, well, obviously we have to change the name. You know, if, if he's going to stay alive, we need a, a name that's going to make him feel good. So we had just seen the film Saving Mr. Banks. And they have a scene in there with the Sherman brothers, the guys who wrote all those great songs for Disney. So she goes, let's name him Sherman. And I love the fact that her first thought was like, let's just come up with a cheerier name and go from there. So Chris called a neighbor to come trim Sherman's overgrown hooves. And then they waited to see if Sherman would start moving to save his own life. And here he is. He's finally out in the fresh air. He's got green grass all around him. He can go wherever he wants. And he is stuck there like a rock. And there's nothing we can do. So we're just staring. We're waiting. We're waiting. Now, we have a goat named Lawrence. And Lawrence is kind of like a... I have mixed feelings about Lawrence because he is super friendly, super affectionate. But he's also a massive pain in the butt because he can jump over the fence. And so in the mornings when the kids come to catch the school bus at the end of our driveway, Lawrence will like leap over the fence and go hang out with the kids. And then the school bus pulls up and the door opens and there's more kids. And so Lawrence will like climb onto the school bus. And the kids are all screaming and the bus driver has like had enough of this. But that morning with Sherman, all Lawrence's sins were forgiven. because here's this donkey, immobilized, dead-eyed in a field. And his goofy goat comes walking up and starts to nuzzle him and then lies down on his feet. I, I get actually all teary-eyed when I tell this part of the story. Lies down on his feet and does not move for the next 24 hours. And that became Sherman's first friend and the first thing which got him to move. The next morning, when I came out to feed the animals, Lawrence gets up to walk over to the hay, and Sherman watches his new friend leave and then takes his first step. He starts to follow Lawrence. And that's when we knew, at least physically, 
his feet would work. The next thing was, well, how do we sort of invigorate him with a sense of adventure? How do we get him to actually want to move? Chris had a friend named Tanya, who was something of a donkey whisperer. She actually kind of got up in my grill and she said to me, now look, this animal lives. You can't just stick him out in a field. You know, you can't just put a bow on his tail like Eeyore. He's got to have a reason to live. He needs a job. He needs a purpose. Every creature, when they wake up in the morning, you open your eyes and you think, okay, what am I looking forward to? The problem with most domesticated animals is we've taken that job away from them, but we haven't supplied a new one. And so that's the same thing with donkeys. This is an animal that evolved for tens of thousands of years to roam across the desert and through the mountains to pick its way through very treacherous terrain, to find water where there is no water, to find food where it's very hard to find. And now we've taken this animal and you stick it in a field. Or in this hoarder's case, he stuck him in a box in a rotten dungeon. And there he stood for a couple of years. So Tanya said, you got to give him an, an ambition. And I suddenly clicked, like, you know, there is one job I know about. This is a, a tradition dating back to the 1800s, back to the old days when the miners would, like, strike gold up in the Rockies, and they would throw all their gear onto the back of a donkey and then run to the nearest town as fast as they could to register the claim. So now you got a scenario where it's the 1800s, and you got these wild western towns, you got a bunch of miners with gold in their pockets, you got a bunch of donkeys outside, and these guys start to race each other. They start to bet each other who can run fastest from Leadville, 29 miles to Fairplay. And this became the Leadville Boom Day Packborough Race. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? This is a long shot, but I like to run. If I can train this donkey to be my running partner, maybe we can actually go to Colorado and run side by side in the Packborough World Championship. So did you start training? Well, first of all, I had to find out how do you actually pack bar race? Like, what's, what are the rules? How do you do this? And it turns out it's a pretty simple sport. All you have to do is train your donkey to run by your side. Because the only rules of pack bar racing are, number one, you got to have a donkey. Uh, number two, you can't ride the donkey. And number three, you cannot hurt or hit or threaten the donkey in any way. It has to be a full-on equal partnership between human and animal. But then the second thing was, well, how do you persuade a donkey? <laughs> how do you even tell a donkey that it's in a race? <laughs> and, you know, you know you're in a race, but no one actually told the donkey. When I go for a 10-mile run, I know where I'm going, but how do I tell the donkey, hey, we're going to be out here for an hour and a half, and there'll be a cliff bar waiting for you at the finish line? You, know, you can't <laughs> communicate this. We wrestled long and hard until what should have been obvious finally got through my head. The one thing that Sherman had always wanted, you know, the one thing he never had, and I was like, God, I can't believe how teary-eyed I get when I talk about this donkey. The one thing he never had was friends. And we saw what happened. As soon as we put Lawrence the goat next to him, he started to change. So what began to get through my thick head was, rather than try to make him run, make him have fun. So the way you don't do it is the way I started and my starting point was I just put a halter on his donkey's head, 
snapped a rope on the halter, and I tried to kind of drag it. And what you realize pretty quickly about donkeys is they don't drag. You know, they just don't move. And so I'm trying to pull them along, and we try to offer them carrots, and we're trying everything. Sherman ain't going. And that's when we came up with the idea of like, hey, let's bring over another donkey. So our friend Tanya first brought over her big riding donkey, Flower. So she would put a saddle on Flower's back, and then she would ride along, and Sherman was kind of pretty good. He would actually start to follow along behind Flower. The problem is, Flower is big and strong, but is kind of a, kind of a baby. Flower is afraid of everything. Flower is afraid of things like the color yellow. Puddles. <laughs> Puddles make Flower nervous. Flower is not afraid of dogs, but she's afraid of cows. So, you know, we live out in the countryside. There's lots of yellow. There's lots of puddles, lots of cows. So Flower's going down the road, and she'll see, like, a yellow road sign, and she suddenly frees up and be terrified. So she would turn around to go back. And then Sherman always follows Flower, so it becomes like this, like, toilet bowl swirling around. Like, Flower's trying to get behind Sherman. Sherman's trying to get behind Flower. I'm in the middle, surrounded by ropes. So that wasn't working. So then Tanya got the idea of, let's bring in Matilda. So Matilda is a tiny donkey, but she's really brave. And that's how we finally began to crack the code. So Matilda would start off in the lead, and then Flower would follow Matilda, and then Sherman would follow Flower, and this kind of weird little wagon train of donkeys was finally starting to make some progress. That brought the next problem, which is, now I got three donkeys, now I need three runners. So my poor wife, Mika. My wife, Mika, grew up in Hawaii. She is Lancaster County's only, as far as I know, official hula dancer in Amish country. She is a Hawaiian beach girl who dances hula and plays a ukulele. <laughs> so one day I go to her and hand her a rope and go, hey, guess what? I got you a donkey too. We needed a third runner with us. And we had a close family friend whose son was a student at Penn State. And he was going through a really rough patch. It was a pretty desperate situation for him. And it's one of these things that finally makes you understand how frustrating clinical depression is because you see this kid, Zeke, strong, handsome, elite athlete, nationally ranked swimmer, top of his class, charming, ding off every box of everything that I personally want to be. This kid has it, and yet he's struggling to stay alive. So his mother called us to say, hey, um, Zeke is going through this problem. He'd like to join you to do some running. Is that okay? And I said, oh, it's fine with me, but tell him we're actually running with donkeys these days. Is that okay with him? So Zeke shows up, and he takes one look at Sherman, and that became his mission. His mission was, I'm going to fix this donkey. And I know it's kind of anthropomorphizing a little bit, but I kind of feel like Sherman did the same thing. I think Sherman looked at this kid, and uh, they became best buds immediately, and they were inseparable. And that first day, we just went out as a group. Suddenly, the donkeys got it. Like, oh, okay, this is our job. Let's go. And that first day, we went from having done like maybe 50 yards the day before to doing two miles. It really opened my eyes to something that, you know, I think it was so obvious, but it, it's where a lot of us are blind to it. You know, animal-human partnerships have been around forever. It, it's, it's the thing which has allowed the human race to survive is the fact that tens of thousands of years ago, 
we teamed up with feral dogs and feral cats, and they became our, our partners, not, not our slaves, not our pets. And what we saw with Sherman was, once he understood that he was our teammate in this challenge, he was all down for it. And it got to the point where, after about a week, if I'm inside, if it's kind of a cloudy day and I'm having an extra cup of coffee and it's 9 o'clock and we haven't gone running yet, I'll hear this like bang, bang, bang sound. It's Sherman grabbing the gate with his jaw, shaking the gate back and forth, telling me, let's go, dude. Time for the workout. <laughs> so were there any particularly notable moments while you were training for the race? Well, you know, the first thing is where we live is in southern Lancaster County, and all of our neighbors in every direction are Amish and Mennonite. And so I always thought of myself as kind of like the normal dude, you know, like my neighbors literally go to the store in a horse and buggy. And yet <laughs> what I'm seeing is I'm running down the road with my donkey and Amish dudes are like leaning out of their buggies and like craning their necks to like watch, like, what is this? <laughs> what is this guy up to? So that was the first thing. I was like, oh, I guess we're really kind of out here on the extreme edge of what's normal. But the second thing that really came together for me was there is an Amish marathoning team out here. It's called Vela Springa, which is Pennsylvania Dutch for let's run. And every month, the Amish marathon team does a full moon run. They'll pick a farm, and the owner of the farm will create a route, a five- or seven-mile route, and we'll all get together under the full moon, and we'll run together in the darkness. So not long after we got in the donkeys, I invited Vela Spranga to come out to my house for a full moon run. And that night to me was the most magical experience of it all because for the first time, these donkeys were surrounded by a, a big herd. There were like 30 runners all around them. And for the first time, I saw Sherman's hedges like jerk up and his ears were straight up in the air and he was alive. And I'll just never forget that moment of running up this hill and Sherman just trotting along and his mane's like waving back and forth. And there was that like jingle in his spurs, you know, this moment of like, oh, he's not just running. This guy's having fun. And I thought, okay, now we're on the right track. Like we've given him something he genuinely loves. That didn't mean running with the donkeys was easy. Of the three donkeys, Sherman is the one that is constantly scheming, you know? He's got like the Danny Ocean of donkeys. He's always kind of come up with some kind of a scheme. So even if we're on a run, everything's going fine. All of a sudden, Sherman is doing things like he would like ease over a little bit more, a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the left. Until finally, Zeke realized, oh, he's getting, I'm getting pushed into the creek. And as soon as he gets pushed into the creek, Sherman would turn around and start running for home. Like things like that. <laughs> It's one of these things where I guess the beauty of a sport like pack bar racing is that there are people that have been doing it for 30, 40 years, and they say the same thing. Like, you, you, never, you never quite get it because there's always something new. So just when we thought we are getting kind of good at this, I called a guy who's an expert pack bar racer. And I said, hey, man, we're getting really good. We're good on the trails. We're good on the roads. And he goes, oh, great. How are you doing in the water? And I go, uh. What water? He's like, oh, yeah, you got to take your donkeys across like a 30-foot wide snow melt rushing stream. Uh, have you practiced that yet? And I'm like, dude, I can't even get flour to step in a puddle. 
I mean, rushing waters <laughs> off the table. So that became like the next thing was how to get the donkeys into the water. We would send my wife across first with a very long rope and she'd get to the other side of the water and then she'd be holding Matilda's rope. Matilda had become so attached to my wife that given this choice between the water and being apart from Mika, eventually she'd go, okay, I'm in. And she would wait across. Sherman hates to be separated from Matilda. So then as soon as Matilda went, we'd get Sherman going immediately. If we waited too long, it wouldn't work. So then Sherman would go right behind. And then they would leave. They'd go up the trail and disappear into the woods, which would cause a panic in flower. And every time to this day, she would literally cannonball into the creek. She'll just rear up and just leap, trying to jump the creek and splash down the other side and then go running after them. So this is our surgical foolproof NASCAR operation for our pit stops in the water. Once they'd solved the creek crossing conundrum, the team was ready for the Pack Borough race. And just when you think you've got everything done, the head of the operation decides that at age 57, maybe this is a good time to start playing basketball again. So I started playing basketball for the first time in 30 years and broke my hand one month before the race. Burrow racing is pretty much a two-hand operation. You know, you're holding onto a 1,000-pound donkey. You need both hands on a rope. So I get a plate and six steel screws put into my left hand, and I ask the surgeon, well, how long until I can run with a 1,000-pound donkey? And uh, he's like, dude, definitely not this year. So I had to learn how to run one-handed with a month to go before the race. Then Tanya, who is our only transportation to the race, gets in a carriage accident and cracks two vertebrae in her back. So she's out. So we have no transportation. I got no left hand. And then two weeks before the race, Zeke, who decides to experiment with parkour, breaks his foot. So at this point, with a week out from the race, we have no transportation and at least five broken bones in our crew. But ridiculous. So we lost Zeke, we lost Tanya, and I lost my left hand. But somehow, I don't know, man, maybe it's because when you have good intentions and you put it out there, people come to your rescue. So these two wild horse ladies from Virginia heard on the horse network, you know, word of mouth grapevine, that we needed a ride to Colorado. And they called me up out of the blue and said, hey, man, we got, a, we got a truck and a trailer. We'll drive you. So Karen and Linda come rocking. I never met them before. Come driving them from Virginia and volunteer to drive our donkeys to Colorado. And then we reached out on the Packborough grapevine and said, hey, anybody have an extra runner? And a woman from Wisconsin volunteered to come down and run with us. So bit by bit, we, we put it together. So here, here's the scene. So Fair Play, Colorado is like a kind of a one-road town. But on Packboro Racing Day, that one road is full of donkeys. And the donkeys can't believe it. The donkeys are looking around like, oh, my God. Like, we, we own the world. It's donkeys as far as the eye can see. And the donkeys are just, like, keyed up and loving it. And I'm looking at Sherman, and Sherman's looking around like, oh, my God. We, we are the master race. There's two ways you can start a race with animals. And most races with animals, they start them by just throwing a handkerchief in the air, you know, just so that 
Everyone knows the start, but there's no, you know, sudden blast. That's not pack bar racing. In pack bar racing, they start the race with a blast. They get a shotgun and blow off the shotgun, which starts this stampede. So I knew that was coming. What we did was we turned our donkeys around so they were facing the opposite direction so they couldn't actually see the other donkeys, and we kept them in the back of the pack. So when the shotgun goes off, they're scared, but they're not joining the stampede. So we let the stampede go, and then very gradually, we started to, to run along, uh, Flower and Matilda and Sherman and me and Mika and Tammy. So we start to run, and my, my big concern was, you know, this is at 12,000 feet. It's really hard to breathe. It's really hard to function at that kind of altitude. So we started to run really cautiously. And what we found was, I don't know, there's something about the rhythm of running with a donkey that is so smooth and so rhythmic. As we started to run the mountains, we found this this very steady one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, that kind of beat. And I found for some reason the running felt kind of easy. And so before I knew it, we're just rocking along like one mile went by, then two miles and three miles go by, and we're feeling pretty good. And I kept waiting for, uh uh-oh, this can't last. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, I, I look ahead, and like, what's that? That's the turnaround point. You're almost halfway there. And at that point, I knew it. I knew we had it. And I knew all we had to do was just not mess up and uh, bring it in for a landing. You know, the one difficulty is that as you're heading out to the halfway point, other donkeys are coming back the other way. And I really expected Sherman and Flower to, like, want to go back with the other donkeys. But for some reason, you know, those four months of training had paid off because as we're running— I see Flower's ears come up, and she sees these donkeys coming back toward her. She's a little bit confused, but then I see her her left eyeball just kind of swivel back to look at me, and I just waved her forward, and then the eye just swiveled back front again, and she just kept on going. And it was this moment of like, oh, my God, like, we, we really got this going on. She is literally looking to me for instructions, and I'm giving them, and she's receiving them and, and doing what I ask. It was amazing. You know, Fair Play tries to liven up the borough races by including another race. They have an outhouse race. So the last, like, 50 yards of the race course for the borough race is also the race course for the outhouses on wheels. And so you're running with your donkeys, and you've been out there now for, you know, miles and miles and miles. You're now finally 100 yards from the finish line. And suddenly a gun goes off, and five people pushing outhouses on wheels are rocketing down the road in front of you, which is something, no matter how well-trained your donkey is, they've never seen this before. So the donkey's like, whoa, you know? And, you know, donkeys are survival creatures, and to them, an outhouse on wheels is not a safe scenario. So you run into stuff like that. But luckily, our our donkeys were pretty chill. They they sort of weathered it and, and kept plowing ahead to the finish line. Now that the race is run, what's next for Sherman? I would like to say that Sherman is in a well-deserved retirement, except Sherman's not down with the retiring plan. So, listen, if you ever agreed taking a donkey, you got to ask two questions. Number one, how old is it? And number two, how old is it going to be? Because I never thought to ask what the life expectancy of a donkey is. You know, you know how old a donkey can live for? How old? 60 years. 
You know how old Sherman was when we got Sherman? How old? Eight. Eight years oh, old. No. <laughs> yeah. So he's in the prime of adolescence at this point. So um, he's got a lot more running in his legs. So what we do now is one of two things. Either me and my wife and a friend will take the donkeys out for our usual run, or I'll take them out into our neighbor's field. It's 300 acres, and I'll let them go loose, and they'll go gallop around like ninnies, and I'll chase them around. We'll play tag for a while and spend about two hours just running around the fields together. So who is he now? Is he... Does he seem to have found, like, a sense of self and purpose? The transformation is unbelievable. That I, I, I vividly recall that the deadness in his eyes when we first got him. And now he's frisky and mischievous and kind of annoying and really cool. He's figured out that he can grab the chain on the gate with his teeth. And if he, like, shakes his head hard enough, he can throw the chain off the gate and, like, bang open the gate and lead, like, a full-on escape of all the animals. So some morning I'll be inside having coffee. I look up I look up, and, like, there is Sherman, like, leading a full-on, like, POW breakout of all the <laughs> sheep and goats <laughs> heading up the road. He's, he's in a good place. Our storyteller was Chris McDougall. You can read more about Sherman and the large cast of characters who gathered around him in Chris's new book, Running with Sherman. Zeke, by the way, is also in a good place. He returned to Penn State after the race and graduated at the top of his class. And he's been accepted into a PhD program at Yale. If you want to hear another story about the power of donkeys, check out episode 11, Hoof Prints on the Heart. And for photos of Sherman, Chris, and the crew, follow us on social media, Human Nature Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and Human Nature Pod on Twitter. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by Micah Schweitzer and edited by me, Greg Ronco, and Anna Rader. Special thanks to public radio station WITF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for helping to record this episode. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human.